How many of you uh, that are married would like to have... Now, be careful about how you answer this one. Uh, would like to have a perfect marriage. Okay, let's say a perfect... No, there's no such thing. How many of you would like to have a great... Even those of you who aren't married, would you really want to have a great marriage that lasts for all, all of your life and that, it, uh, that you really honor one another? How many of you would like to have that kind of marriage? Okay. You know... How many of you would, would, would feel that you would like to be so close to God that you would please Him daily? How would you like to have that kind of relationship with God where you please God daily? You're doing God's will daily. Anybody like to do that? Okay. You know that everybody ends up somewhere, but few people end up somewhere on purpose. If you want to have these things in your life, you need to have a, a plan, a purpose. You have to work toward all of these things. It says in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. And we talked about that word vision, and, and that passage is the word kazon. It's a Hebrew word that means a, a dream, a revelation, or a vision. God has a vision for our lives, a purpose for our lives, beyond just going through the everyday common things that we go through in life. Where there is no vision for a godly marriage, 50% of marriages end up in divorce. Where there is no vision for financial freedom, you could still live in Germantown Hills, which is, has the highest income of any community in this area, and still live paycheck to paycheck. Where there is no vision for a healthy lifestyle, you can have all the resources, all the health clubs, and all the healthy food around you, you can still end up obese and unhealthy. Where there is no vision for making a difference in your world, you can go through life and seemingly be successful, but really never may have a life of significance. Everyone ends up somewhere, but few people end up somewhere on purpose. I was reading uh, the book that goes along with this series. Actually, we got the idea of the series from. It's a book by a guy named Craig Rochelle, who is a pastor in uh, in Oklahoma City of a huge multi-campus church. Um, and he shared this 10 years ago, what instigated him to write the book, Kazon, as he was studying scripture and looking at this, was 10 years ago, he was with a group of leaders from his church, about 100 people from his church who were key leaders in the church back then. And he asked them this question. He said, if money were no object to you, what would you do with the rest of your life? You know, these are church leaders now, okay, that he asked this question to. And his mindset was, well, if I asked him this question, they would say, say things like, man, I could go out and do ministry to the poor, and I could start you, and I could do this, I could do that. But you know what he was kind of concerned, disturbed about? These church leaders 10 years ago said this. They said, when he asked this question, if money were no object to you, you could do anything you want to do, most of them talked about buying a bigger house or, or getting a bigger boat or traveling all over the world. And he thought, and he thought about this, and he said, you know, And he was so disturbed about this, he began to explore this. Why do people have such a limited vision? Did Jesus Christ, did God send his son, Jesus Christ, to die upon a cross for our sins, to pay the penalty for everything so that we could go on a better vacation? So often we have such a limited vision about what God wants us to do. The last three weeks we've talked about this whole series, the purpose of this series is to help us to have the bigger vision that God has for us. It's beyond just a better, bigger house or a better boat or a great vacation. That God wants us to do something significant. And it's not just for pastors, it's for everyone. And I was praying today about how to conclude this series because this is really just a starting point for this whole process. 
But I was praying for a way to illustrate this, and I know scripturally I already had the outline, the scripture that kind of says what happens and how God works in this process, and we're going to look at Acts chapter 20 today and talk about that. But I was looking for an illustration, and I remembered back a book I'd read about, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago. I have this weird ability to remember stuff that I, that's probably inconsequential, but sometimes it tends to be stuff that down the road I, I have this filing system. I don't know. I can't remember, you know, stuff that happened yesterday, but I can remember stuff that happened 10 years ago. So I remember the story in this book. And this book was a very uh, influential book in my life, and it's become influential. The, pers- the author of this book's become influential in the life of Great Oaks, especially in men's ministry, uh, Robert Lewis, because we've been studying a lot of stuff with Robert Lewis. But he wrote this book called The Church of Irresistible Influence. And in the book, he tells the story, or tells multiple stories of people, but one in particular intrigued me, and it was about, I was going to want to read or kind of share it with you today as kind of the outline of the message, a scriptural outline used as an illustration, a story of a guy named Bud Finley. Bud Finley was a guy that when he was 10 years old, he grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. And he grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, and it was the years, it was the year that the, as he was growing up, it was during those years that schools were being integrated. Some of you who are old like me can remember that. But the issue was, it was during those years, and he would sit at the dinner table, and he would hear his father say things uh, and, and use language that was, that was peppered with racial slurs. And growing up, Bud believed his prejudice was just the way things were. That's how he grew up. That was his experience in life. And when Bud was in junior high school, integration was happening at his, at his sister's uh, at Hall High School there in Little Rock, where his sister was attending. And one morning, the, to kind of go along with what his father did, he wrote a note and put it in his sister. He was going to drop it at, at, at the school there, and it was a racial slur. I'm not going to even tell you what it said. Well, he forgot to drop it, and what happened was is that he left it in his pocket. In the afternoon, as his mom was pulling out laundry or that later that day, she pulled the note out, found it in his thing, and when she found it, she told the father, and his father spanked him for it. It was kind of like a kind of funny thing because the father had just used racial slurs, and he was just doing the same thing. But that was the atmosphere he grew up in in Little Rock, Arkansas. But as he grew up and as he became a man, he realized that he became a Christian. He accepted Jesus Christ, and he knew he shouldn't have hate for anyone. Yet in his heart, he suspected this, and he still had some there. And Bud Finley, as an adult, would admit that his life was kind of a paradox because he was conservative on one hand, but on the other hand, he said he was a man given to addiction, not to drugs, not to, to alcohol, not to anything like that, but to adrenaline, to driving, to a driving purpose in life. And underneath all of his pinstripe suits and everything like that, some might call it a craving, some might call it a passion. It was probably both. Bud understood he, he had this, he was a, a rush junkie. He loved the challenge in life. That was the kind of person he was. That was one of his core values that he had in life, besides being conservative. And so during his life, as he grew up in his 20s, he grew a beard. I don't know what the beard, what the beard is, but he, he moved with his wife to a farm and bought a slaughterhouse. You know, what a strange thing to do in your 20s. Uh, that business failed, but he thrived on the edge. He got involved in brokering deals for newly deregulated savings and loan industry. Eventually, he started his own real estate company, dealing in mortgages. And when he began working with cellular phone companies to find sites to build towers on, he knew that their great potential. And at the time, he could hardly even spell telecommunications, but he he made millions of dollars in it over those years. 
But during all this time, he began to ask himself, he say, it seemed by most of the world's standards that he had arrived. He had a wife, three kids. He was respected in the community. He was involved in church. Spiritually, he read the right books. He said the right things. Bill Bright, head of Campus Crusade, came and spoke at his business. He had him come in and do, I mean, he was the guy, guy that you would think that everything was right in his life. But one day the church challenged him to do something. They said that they wanted to have these common cause groups in the church. And what they did is they challenged people to go out and connect with people in different environments in their community. And he began to be challenged to do that. And so he went into a housing project there in Little Rock. It was so opposite of where he lived that he couldn't believe it. And so as he went to this housing project, he didn't think it would be all he'd go. And he'd, you know, rake some leaves and he would, you know, tell some jokes and go home and maybe feel better about himself because he'd served a little bit. Little did he know that what was going to happen in his life was that it was going to change the direction of his life. That God was going to give him a prompting in God's spirit to change the direction of his life. This experience along with his core values and his giftedness together worked in such a way that he began to build a relationship with a young black, black boy named Michael. And Michael, over the period of the next three years, he spent time with him and began to see the world through his eyes. This eight-year-old, seven, eight-year-old black child. And he began to see people in a different poverty in a different way. And he began to ask the question because he was the person who thought in the big picture mindset. He began to ask the question, how can we more, in, uh, more involve the community in regard to helping people in this situation who, who have no, so often no, uh, uh, hope at all in life? How can we do that? And so over the period of time, God used his experiences, his core values, and his giftedness to direct him to ask some questions about you know, what can I do to change this? And then he went to a conference. You know, we get all kind of experiences. He went to a conference. And of all people that was there, Peter Drucker, who was the motivational guru, who was known in the business world as a huge, he's a huge influence over the last 40 years in the business world, Peter Drucker. And Peter Drucker was there, and he said this. He said uh, he was talking about the desperate need for leadership and integration in inner city social service agencies, that they were so disconnected. He said the reason so often uh, that most agency directors, Drucker said, were by nature lovers, not leaders. They were people who loved people, and so that what they often did was they would be focused on, on caring for people but not administrating the bigger picture. And so often what he found was that people in the world who, who headed these agencies didn't necessarily communicate with each other very well. And so, so Bud asked the question, you know, how can I do something about this? And so make a long story short, he developed a, a plan, a plan to take some of his resources and begin to push them toward trying to find a way, a solution to bring agencies together. And so he came to a point in his life where there was, there was, he, he pulled together 21 social services agencies in Little Rock, Arkansas to sit down at the table. And he said, what would it be like if, if we had this, um, if I had this organization where you could come and we would give you free, for free of charge, no cost in, in, involved in this, trying to pull together some strategies and some plans that we can work together to be more successful in reaching the community and helping them to meet the needs they have there. See, the thing was this, is that his core values, his giftedness and his experiences came together for God to begin to work in his life 
in a way that I'll tell you more about later. The thing that we need to understand, and that's why we've talked about this the last three weeks, is this, is that we need to understand, it's a beginning point for us to understand what our core values are. If you weren't with us the last several weeks, go back and listen to the, listen to the uh, last three weeks podcast. We talked about, Chris three weeks ago talked about uh, core values, about how we all have core values in life, things that drive us. And then I talked about spiritual giftedness, about how we have God gives us all these spiritual gifts, and the gifts are to be used to build up the body of Christ and to help people to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And he gives us these spiritual gifts, and we need to discover what they are because they are part of understanding our kazone, our God's vision and purpose for our life. And then last week I talked about this whole thing of experiences, about how the experiences that we have in our life are experiences that God wants us to, that shapes and molds us in such a way that God wants us to think about those and use those to help others, especially the painful experiences in life. But I want to tell you that that's just part of the process. Because that's all stuff kind of that we do, we discover that. But along the way, I want us to look this morning at a passage of Scripture that helps us to understand about the process of how God moves us along to discover our kazon, how he brings clarity to our lives. Because I think that most of all, that what you and I want to know is this, God, what is it that you want us to do with these experiences? What do you want us to do with our spiritual gifts? And what do you want to do with, with, the, with the core values that we have as we draw them together, understand what they are? What is it that you want me specifically to do in my world? So let's look at a passage of Scripture over in Acts chapter 20. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can look at that. If you don't, you can pull out the outline that's in the bulletin. There's notes there. You can fill in the blank. Actually, we're probably you've already missed two or three of them, so... If you did, that's all right. Just forget it and go on. Unless you're anal retentive and you have to have every note filled in, then ask me later and I'll give you all the fill in the blanks, okay? I've discovered something in Scripture, and, I, and if you've read Scripture very long, you discovered this too, that there seems to be some similarities to the process that God uses in helping people to discover what God wants them to do in their life. As I look at Moses in the Old Testament, as I look at Nehemiah in the Old Testament, I look at Paul in the New Testament, and, and, and you can name dozens of people in the Bible, there seems to be a process that God works through. And I just want to point this out very quickly. In Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 20, uh, 24, it says this. Paul says this. <clears throat> and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now, there's four things real quickly that I want to point out this morning. Four things that it says about the process that God takes us through. Number one, it says in Acts 20, 22a, it says, and now compelled by the Spirit. The first process, the first thing that we need to understand that discovering our zone is the Spirit's prompting. Have you ever in your life, as, as a believer, have you ever in your life come to a point where you believe that God is leading you to do something? You, you, there's something that you encounter along the way, and you just, all of a sudden you're going like, God, I, I know, I, it's not like I, I've never heard God's voice audibly, okay? I'll just tell you that. 
And I don't hardly, I don't know anybody who told me they actually have heard God's voice audibly, but there's a spirit's prompting. It's a, it's an impression as they've read, read scripture, as they've prayed and those things to say, uh, there's, there's this, there's this unrest in our life. See, God is the one that directs us toward this understanding our kazon, His vision for our life. He's the one, His Spirit works in our life to prompt us to, to go. As Paul was saying here, I'm compelled by the Spirit. The word compelled there uh, is, is, uh, is the word deo. It's compelled. It means bound. I'm bound up. I'm, I'm uh, wrapped up with cords. It's another definition of that word. And it, it's, it's such a thing that I have to, you know, I have to, it's, it's something that, that grips me. I really believe that if we want to discover purpose for life, God will give us prompting by His Spirit. I see that time and again. I've had it in my own life. I saw that in life, in this story. As I was, I was reading the story of Bud Finley, he was gripped by something. He was gripped by the idea that, you know, there is, there is injustice. And I need to do something about it. His first thought was, well, I don't need to become a preacher, okay? Sometimes that's the last thing you need to do. Some people think, oh, if I'm going to fully serve God, I have to be a preacher. Now, let me tell you something. God needs people who, have a, who are used by them in every place in the world, in every area of the marketplace, in every community. And truthfully, sometimes you can make a greater impact there than you could if you just joined the staff of a church. So the first thing is, we need to understand if there's a spirit's prompting, if you have this urging by God to do something, you need to ask, you need to act upon it. The first, the second thing you need to do is you need to understand that when you have a spirit's prompting, as you do that, God's not going to give you the whole big picture at one time. Secondly, there's a certain uncertainty. It says, I'm going to Jerusalem. What does it say? Not knowing. Not knowing what will happen to me there. The Spirit directs us in a direction. But it doesn't always give us the whole big picture. If God had told me 30 years ago what I would be doing today when I was 25 years old, if I knew what I was doing today, I would have freaked out. You probably would too. I would have gone, no way. But at 25 years old, or actually at 22 years old, when I committed myself to doing full-time ministry and began the process, I didn't have a clue I would be in the Midwest leading a church with a couple of services with multiple staff. I had no clue that I was going to be a part of my, my direction at that point was to go prepare myself in school. That's the next step. And ask God, what's the next step after that? The Spirit speaks, but he, he only gives us certain parts of the detail. When Bud Finley heard and he began this process of asking the question, what is it that God wants me to do in regard to this issue? He first said, you know, I need to do something about it. And so it, he took, the first step for him was he took, pulled, pulled together community leaders and he said, you know, what is it that we can do together? What is it that, that you need to help you be more consistently Fruitful in your, in your caring for people through the social service, uh, sector of the society. That was his first step. He didn't have a plan. He had a passion. He had a prompting. He had a direction. 
I love it in Hebrews 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You know, if God gave you the whole picture, you didn't have to worry. You didn't, you, he said, here's plan, step A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. And you had a whole thing laid out before you that would take no faith involved to follow that, right? No faith. It takes faith for God to say, I want you to go in this direction, not knowing where you're going. That is the God of Scripture. Trust me. And so that's what God does. He, he, he gives us the Spirit, gives us a prompting. We have this certain uncertainty. Uh, and it's, it's in, a, in a sense, it's the, the power of the next step. We talk about here at Great Oaks, one of our things that we talk about at Great Oaks is what? Anybody regarding next steps? One of our purposes is to help you take your next step with God. You know, our, perp- our, our, our purpose statement and part of what we do is not to say, hey, our purpose is to help you to light out your whole life. No, we don't know what that's going to be because we're not God. God knows that. No one else does. Only God. But we want to help you discover your next step in trusting God and taking the next step where it may be. Bud Finley understood that his next step was to trust God in regards to this, this passion the Spirit had given him in regard to doing something about the inequities and about the hopelessness that existed in Little Rock, Arkansas, in a huge city. And he used his giftings and his core values and his experiences to begin to do something about it after the Spirit prompted him to do it. He was uncertain. It's kind of like this. I love this, uh, this phrase that uh, Craig Rochelle used in his book. He says this, and this is about this. I will do today... What I can do to enable me to do tomorrow what I can't do today. Now it's kind of a hard sentence to memorize, but that's why I didn't memorize it. I just wrote it down. But the issue is, is I can do today what I can do to enable me to do tomorrow what I can't do today. I mean, there's things tomorrow that you've got to get, you've got to work your way toward. And it's taking the next step. And that's what God wants to do in discovering your kazon. Some of you, your next step is just to say, hey, I want to discover my kazone. I need to sit down and figure out my core values. I need to figure out, figure out, figure out my spiritual gifts. I need to figure out how my experiences in my life have worked together. Then in the message today, I'm going to tell you how to do that. I'm going to give you a tool that you can go home and over the summer, I challenge you over the summer, to sit down and spend several hours. You don't have to do it all consecutively. You can do it little bit by little bit to discover what your concern is, what God's purpose is for your life. And in the process of that, God will begin to prompt you, the Spirit will begin to prompt you in areas and open doors for you. There will be certain uncertainty. But the third thing there will be also is this. There will be predictable resistance. In Acts chapter 20, verse 23, Paul says, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that, that luxuries and great things are going to happen to me. Is that what he says? No, he says, as I follow the Spirit's prompting. Now, remember, this is the Spirit's prompting. And as I have this certain uncertainty, but I step out in faith, it doesn't always lead to ecstasy. There will be certain and predictable resistance. I mean, I look in Scripture, Moses, when God told him to lead the people, what was his big prompting of the Spirit? Lead the people. Let the people help them to be free. Was there any resistance there? There was a guy named Pharaoh, had a big part in the, you know, even if you haven't read the book, you maybe you've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments. And there was some resistance there. Pharaoh kept throwing up all these barriers. 
There was resistance, predictably, because when you begin to do God's work, Satan is not going to sit around on his hands. He's going to do something to promote pushing you, uh, pushing it away from there. Nehemiah, I love the story of Nehemiah. If you want to read a great uh, book about the process of discovering your kazone, Nehemiah, as he felt prompted by the Spirit to build the wall, he had a couple of guys that showed up, Sanballat and Tobias. I mean, they were the biggest irritant. They were like the worst next-door neighbors you could ever have who constantly were irritating and trying to push his buttons and do everything they can to slow the process down because they were jealous that he was doing something for God. But finally, when he went to these organizations, you think these 21 social service organizations, when he went to them and said, hey, if we develop the process where for free you could have help in developing a plan, do you think that everybody would have jumped on board with that? You would think for free. I mean, most people like free. But no, there was some, there was some pushback. Not all the organizations wanted to work together. It's still a, still a struggle sometimes to work with certain ones of them. I mean, I can guarantee you, if you make a decision, uh, this year to, uh, get in shape, if you make a decision to get in shape, you know what's going to happen the next day? You're going to the grocery store and they have Twinkies on sale for 75% off. <laughs> Satan. <laughs> right? It always works that way. For many of you, you know that you need to discover your cousin, but you know what's going to be your biggest barrier? Busyness. That's why I decided at the beginning of the summer, let me explain something to you. you most of you take vacation in the summer. And, you know, if you want to sit around on a beach and, you know, and drink, you know, drinks or something, that's fine. But while you're doing it, why don't you pop open your laptop, your iPad, and start working on your cazone. Think about Do something constructive. Come home and feel like, oh, more than just having a great tan, I know God's purpose for my life. Wouldn't that be amazing? At the end of the summer, to have a more focused vision instead of just feeling like kind of chilled out. But that's something God wants us to do. So we have this predictable resistance in our life when we just begin to discover God's purpose for our life. Finally, though, you know what it leads to when we do this? I love this part of the Scripture. One of my favorite verses in all the Scripture is Acts twenty twenty four. Because when you go through God's Spirit's prompting, and you have this, and you have this uncertainty, and you have this resistance. You know what it leads to if you work your way through it and trust in God? Uncommon clarity. Uncommon clarity. Paul says, however, after all this, I consider my life worth nothing to me if I may finish the race and complete the task of the Lord Jesus Christ has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Do you see a clear purpose statement for Paul's life in that verse? He goes, I know what my purpose is. I mean, if I don't do this, everything else is nothing. In my life, I mean, I've got some things that I think, you know, are, are irrefutable things from God. God says, said to me, if you do not, if you do not as a, as a father teach your children about God and do everything you can in your power to help them to know Christ and to love God, I don't care if you give them everything else in the world, you failed. That's what God's, that's one of God's directives to me. 
in the leadership of the church. It's, it's that God has not called me to be, this is the church of Bill White, this is the church, this is Great Oaks in this community, and I don't care if my name's ever on a sign, okay? Because the issue is, is that is God's name being fulfilled? Is people coming to know Christ? Are they leading life? Are they making changes in life? You know, it doesn't matter to me, truthfully, and I know it's hard to say, believe, that there's, there's 600 people on average that come to Great Oaks, and it was, you know, nine years ago, there was 125 to 150. That's great. Somebody, I met, you know, I shared with you last week about my encounter at the golf course with the, with a pastor there, and he was going like, you're doing great guns at Great Oaks, and I'm going like, well, yeah, we got more people. But lots of people can draw crowds. The issue for me is change lives. That's the bottom line. That's, that's ultimately if I leave Great Oaks and retire from Great Oaks in a few years, and, and the thing is, is that, is that if lives have not been changed, even if we were running thousands, I failed as a leader to do what God has called me to do. See, uncommon clarity comes when you begin and go through the process that God wants you to take you through. I love that in the book, Bud Finley comes to the end of the story in, in the book, and, and if you want to read a great story, you can read the whole thing. But anyway, after going through everything, he basically comes to the point of deciding to develop his organization. And he was going to do it as a side thing. I mean, he was going to do it and kind of like be the benefactor of it. You know, he's going to help them. But eventually he decided he needed the, they needed an entrepreneurial leader for this besides somebody who was going to be the, the day-to-day manager of it. And he left and he sold his business and became the manager. Today he manages this organization. This guy who was an entrepreneur who ran multi-million dollar business, he manages this organization that helps for free social service agencies in the Little Rock area to be more successful. God led him to uncommon clarity about his purpose. Everybody ends up somewhere, not everyone, but everyone doesn't end up somewhere on purpose. I love the prayer from from Sir Francis Drake that's in your bulletin. I think it's in your bulletin. It's on the screen. It's the prayer I want to pray for us today as we close. This prayer says this. Disturb us, Lord. When we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrive safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Man, what a powerful prayer. See, when God calls us to do something, it's going to be beyond just what we, you and I can do ourselves. We can discover our spiritual gifts. We can discover our core values. We can discover and look at our experiences. But when God calls us to do something, it's going to be something that only God, through his power, can do through us. And we have to trust him. Step by step by step. I believe that there's lots of Bud Finleys in this church. People who have a vision beyond just going through life. I hear that a lot. That you have some kind of spirits prompting your life to do something. You, you've not acted upon it because you're going like, man, this is too big. I can't possibly do it. You know, probably if, it, if it's from God, it's too big and you can't do it on your own. But God wants you to take the first step. And after the first step, you may have some, you may, Twinkies may show up, you know, for 75% off. 
But you need to push through that and trust God because if you do that, in Scripture, every time one of these persons did it, every time I've seen people in the world, every time Bud did it, when I've done it, what's happened is God gives you uncommon clarity to live life in a way you've never lived it before. What I want you to do this summer is this. I want you to go to a website. Pop up the next slide. I want you to visit www.cazone.com. And then once you get there, you'll discover how to use it. Okay? It's, it's very user-friendly. This is not something we've done already. This is not anything to do with the spiritual gifts. Or, I mean, the spiritual life survey that we did recently. We discovered 109 people, I think, actually got online and did that. Thank you for doing that. We'll find some information about that in a few weeks, talk about that. That has to do with the church as a whole. This is about developing and understanding the things that we've talked about already in more detail. It's a free site. You go to it, and you begin to work through it. I worked through, I've already worked through part of the site. And ultimately what it does, it'll begin, and I'll talk about it a little bit next week as I talk about what's in the future. But as we talk about it, what it'll do, it'll help you to discover more clearly and be able to look more clearly about what your core values are, what your spiritual gifts are, and what, uh, what your experiences and how they've shaped who you are. It'll help you to write your own purpose statement. It'll help you to ask, what are next steps in these key areas of life that I need to take? It'll do all those things. If you're serious about God using you in a way that you've always just dreamed about but not thought, didn't think was possible, I believe this is the beginning of a process to help you to do just that. Let's pray this morning. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.